0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars, premium race-spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders.
1: This week's Padded Pass podcast comes to you with a slight American flavour. We headed to Los Angeles to be present at a star-studded launch for the Trackhouse team and also checked out round four of the AMA Supercross series at Anaheim. We got exclusive interviews with team manager Wilco Zielenberg and, of course, the two riders, Miguel Oliveira and Ralph Fernandez, only moments after the white RSV Aprilias had been unveiled. We're also going to talk about the new Red Bull KTM, a new Red Bull Gas Gas team livery and preview some of our expectations for Sepang, as MotoGP finally awakens from a winter slumber next week with three days of shakedown tests, followed by three days of official testing in Malaysia. I'm Adam Wheeler and we have Steve English busy on the ground at Wells Superbike tests gathering content and eating crisps, but we have more than enough MotoGP crunch thanks to the other two rascals on this podcast. Firstly, it's the man in the hats and usually a large one to fit that oversized brain. David Emmett, how are we, Dave? Have you been riding that red BMW GS much?
0: That is planned for this afternoon. So once I get off a call, I'll go to phone me mum, wish her happy birthday, and then get me motorbike and go riding around the fool that I am. Ah, oh, happy birthday to Mrs. Emmett. Eighty she is today. So that's a uh, decent innings.
1: Yeah, fine age. If it's follicles and you're after, then Neil Morrison is a willing supplier. He's also our font of high quality insight. Uh, Before we crack on two pieces of important news, Uh, for 2024, we're going to be changing the Paddock Pass podcast slightly. When we have a round of MotoGP, then we'll be bringing you a show on Sunday evenings, recapping the Grand Prix, the events, the talking points, and with some exclusive slices of audio from within the paddock. This means our midweek show will be shorter and a bit more general. We'll also be offering much more on our Patreon channel, and we'll provide more details on that in the next week's show. The second piece of news, uh, we have a special one for people that take an annual subscription to our Patreon channel, which works out at 10% cheaper than paying each month. All subs will enter a prize draw for two paddock passes to a MotoGP round of their choice. We'll be looking to make the draw at the first Grand Prix in Qatar on March the 10th, so get signed up now. We'll put the Patreon link in the podcast episode text and also on Twitter. Uh, we're not talking about thousands of people here, sadly, yet. So there's a great chance to win these passes uh, that are normally not so easy to get a hold of. Uh, wait, I forgot another piece of news. Um, we'll also be running the Paddock Pass podcast MotoGP Fantasy League on com this year. Some of us have some pride to regain. So in the coming shows, we'll be plugging this. So listen out for details of how to join. It's completely free. And it's a chance to get some more prizes and it'll be the third edition i think uh, that we'll be running so uh right enough housekeeping for the moment um let's talk track house el, el
2: buruto did we ever did we ever find him
1: Ibaruto, yeah the, the winner from 2023 hasn't got in contact yet some free alpine stars gear well free i mean well earned uh, is still waiting so if iberuto if you are a podcast listener which you know we would assume you are and get in touch uh, yeah, as I mentioned, let's let's talk uh, track house, guys. Um, white RSVs, did it sort of suit the palette?
0: Well, it wasn't really white, was it? It was blue and white stripes, um, or was it red and white stripes? I can't even remember. Um, the I mean, it was very obviously a homage to the old American flag thingy. Um, it looked quite nice, but I mean, the reason that it's there is because they haven't got a title sponsor yet. They have got some sponsorships and some partnerships, uh, including Stellar Garda and GoPro, but um, they don't have a uh, a title sponsor of their own yet.
2: Yeah, it looked a little bit like the, uh, was it 2004, when I think Shane Byrne and Jeremy McWilliams were on white uh, Aprilia's. Um, Thankfully, the uh, the bike that's under Raul and uh, Miguel is a good bit better than the one that those guys uh, raced uh, all those years ago, 20 years ago now. Um, But yeah. Probably, if we're doing our little, um, if we're doing our little paint scheme wars, um, this would probably be the finest that's been revealed yet. I would say
1: it was a pretty decent event. I mean, it was unusual. Uh, it was on the top of a hotel, or quite a popular bar. Uh, in a place that was downtown, not downtown LA, but in Hollywood. I mean, it was a very kind of exotic location if you'd like. And that was the point the team had been doing their annual photo shoot. Um, you know, the studio pitches all through the day, and then did the presentation in the evening. The, you had a lot of kind of faces, famous faces from American racing, John Kaczynski, Wayne Rainey, Kevin Schwantz, uh, John Hopkins was there also Joe Roberts. You know, as well as some other figures from the periphery of uh, sort of American motorcycling like Roland Sands, uh, it it did seem sort of high profile in that aspect. And of course, all the track house um, racing team, senior management are busy enough with NASCAR as it is. So it was a it was a small venue. It was quite a short event, but it seemed to tick a box in adding a, a bit of glamour to the to the MotoGP grid and the presentations that we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, I think it's also good that, you know, there is a presentation outside of outside of Europe, Um you know, holding it in the US. Obviously, like, the US is such an important market for uh, MotoGP and for Dorna, and they're desperate to try to find a way in. So, uh, like, holding an event in LA, in Hollywood, I think was an important step, Um even though <laughs> – the trouble is like holding it inside in a bar, uh, you don't necessarily see where you are sort of thing. So um, all of a sudden, I understand why uh, news reporters on the TV are standing outside instead of in, in, a, in a, safely in a studio.
2: But I mean, uh, Dave and I weren't actually there, whereas you were at, um, was it a well attended event?
1: Yeah, it was busy. I mean, it was packed and like i say it was in a bar so it wasn't really kind of the pomp and presentation that we had at ducati where you're in an auditorium so to speak and there was a a lot of formality with press conferences and whatnot uh, I think, as I mentioned, the team had been doing the photos, so there was a, a little bit of lethargy um, around, you know, the extra work to be done. But, you know, Miguel Oliveira and Ralph Fernandez by now are consummate professionals in that. So it was some, um, I think it was, it was a memorable team launch, I would say. And it's for, for like a team, I think they're going to make quite a big splash um, on the MotoGP grid this year.
0: Do you think there was, I mean, like how much of a buzz was there around the event? I mean, was it just sort of like motorcycling royalty or was there um, Did there seemed to be more sort of buzz around it externally?
1: Yeah, I think the theme of it was very much there was an exclusivity to it. There was not a great deal of media. I don't think a huge media coverage was the point of it. Uh, I think there was a knowing acknowledgement towards, like I say, the, the Grand Prix history of, of you know for America, and you know having Swanson Rainey there was were important symbols of that. But uh, yeah, it was small. It was um, like I say, it just had that that exclusive feel. Uh, you, need, you needed a special band to get up. The whole roof bar, which the following evening on the Saturday had a queue around the block of people waiting to get in to party. Uh, was exclusively roped off for track house. So it was, um, no, it was, it was cool.
2: We had Justin Marks on the show back in December and he was telling us that uh, it was his number one aim to have two twenty four bikes for his two riders in 2024. Um, it looked like Miguel Oliveira was going to get preference on that. What was uh, Raúl's comments? Uh, what were Raoul's comments? And did he mention that um, he might be on the 24 bike in Sepang?
1: There's no strict details on that yet. I think, um, you know, Fernandez. I mean, Dave, we've been sort of like, not critical. Well, well, I guess we have been critical of his sort of progress and his development in MotoGP GP in the last two seasons. But um, I think 2024 is a season of reckoning for him. Um, no firm details on the equipment they have, now. I mean, it seems that Oliveira is the main focal point for the 24 material. But um, Wilco Zelenberg explains a little bit more in the interview that I managed to grab with him. Uh, you know, it was an exclusive, I'm um, using that word a lot, um, exclusive kind of session with him. And we recorded it just before the presentation when he finished his photographs. And I'll tell you what, let's just lead right into it now and then straight onto the riders. Okay. So we're in the Tommy Hollywood Hotel, uh, Wilco, it's great to talk to you. Uh, we've been doing all of last year with the, uh, the team's podcast, but now we're actually on the Paddock Pass podcast. So uh, we know the drill. But first of all, how's it been going? Because, you know, turbulent times at the end of 2023 and now at the start of a new adventure.
3: Yes, well, it has been a very exciting winter, I can tell you. Of course, the end of the season, uh, yeah, result-wise, with Raul uh, went really good. So we were very happy with that last race. And, of course, Miguel was injured again and uh, decided as well to, to, yeah, to restore his arm and uh, did the arm operation, so that was kind of all fixed and done, but of course that last race, uh, you know, with, with all the changes and, and the announcements and of course that, uh, yeah, that hit us quite hard, I have to say, and I have never experienced a, a, a worse situation than, than that situation, you know, so you cannot say nothing and, and you're not in control of, of, you know, the big decisions. And, of course, you still need to perform because finally it all came back to Wednesday or Thursday in Valencia, you know. So, uh, um, yeah, so it has been uh, a very tough uh, winter, you know. Normally you can recover quite a bit and uh, relax a bit and uh, especially physically from all those races because we we never experience more hard or more difficult situation then flying from india indonesia japan philip island australia so you know we had a tough uh, couple of races behind our belt and then of course also ending up uh, basically in this difficult situation uh, created a very hectic winter time and uh, we did not relax uh, a lot
1: wilker was there part of you that thought Oh no, not again, because after Petronas leaving the team, the team had to almost reset a little bit, and then it was like another period of instability. Uh, you must have been maybe fed up with racing at some point, you know, the way things work out.
3: Well, yeah, not fed up with racing, but uh, yeah, you are fed up with the, yeah, with the politics, and, and of course, uh, the sports finally also uh, uh, we can run, because you need money, you need to pay things, and it's expensive. And, of course, uh, you know, being in a position as a satellite team is not always ideal. You know, I've been with Yamaha so many years where everything is, you know, uh, planned uh, a long time before. And there is always budget. And, of course, they're trying to find sponsors and reduce the cost. But, uh, yeah, with with a satellite team, you just need to be able to run the show and make sure you you finish the season in a decent way and not overspending too much. And, um, you know... uh, yeah, that's, that's a part of the deal. And, of course, losing Petronas was very painful because they were a title sponsor. And uh, even last year uh, with CryptoData, uh, yeah, there were the owners and uh, they get, uh, you know, taken away the starts. And uh, I never experienced that one, I have to tell you. And, uh, you know, uh, looking to what situation we are now, uh, yeah, still also proud about the group. You know, we still stick together even when we have a new uh, uh, owner and uh, I don't say it's the same because it's completely different than last year but all the guys who were on board last year they are still with us this year and that also means a lot you know so that we stick together even when there, there were of course situation where it was very unsure who's paying and when is paying and and you know and what about the contracts that we already signed with RNF so it was very uh, yeah unsure everything uh, but we stick together and uh, we get out of it i uh, hopefully uh, much stronger even than we were last year Were you like the rest of us where you
1: had to look up track house on the internet to see what this group was what this team was yes
3: 100% <laughs> I, I never heard about track house uh, before until maybe one week before Valencia and then I already met PJ because uh, yeah they were planning ahead and we were really tight in the schedule because you know Valencia test is already planning 2024 so it was a very strange situation but uh, yeah we survived it and now uh, we can uh, you know when When doors uh, are closing, also others are opening and uh, clearly with Trackhouse we we reach a very uh, professional and uh, motivated group uh, of people and uh, who knows everything about racing, Uh, even if it's four wheels, but they do the same game uh, with a different tool, I would say. And uh, this is what you feel directly.
1: Well, so many years with Yamaha, the Japanese, being in a factory set up, then moving to like a Malaysian, largely a Malaysian operation, and then also you know with the Romanian experience last year, how have you found like the American culture? I know it's early, but what kind of things have you seen where you think, oh, okay, that's maybe a bit different?
3: Yeah, well, the first thing that I can say, they they always think big, you know. So it's a big country, so um, you know the 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 interest is huge. And uh, they plan ahead uh, far away, you know. So actually for them, this also didn't uh, uh, arrive too early because they were planning ahead for 2025. And suddenly this this train passed by and they needed to hop on. And also for them, of course, it was uh, uh, critical because finally you you know you only have two months to prepare yourself. And um, yeah... Uh, actually it's not enough you need to plan a year ahead to be everything fine tuned and discuss step by step uh, through all the contracts and all the decisions but uh, we all needed to do it in two months basically and uh, yeah the only thing I can say is they uh, they are really uh, looking ahead and then this is something uh, that is very uh, important especially in MotoGP because you you know We are planning now Supang test, but, you know, our group is already thinking about Austin and, and, uh, you know, uh, two or three races later, you know, the rest is already done and booked and planned. So uh, this is uh, something what they already have really um, more, I would say, than, uh, not than the Japanese, because also the Japanese are thinking ahead a long time, but uh, the Italians and uh, the yeah the malaysians as well they they you know they look one or two weeks in front of them and <laughs> you know planning wise you need to have a couple of months looking forward and uh, that that helps a lot and it makes everything uh, more quiet but also uh, um, yeah it helps the team to stay calm you know you cannot change things tomorrow you know because we planned already many things and decide things and it's uh, difficult to to say what but uh, it's everything you know uh, every decision that you take you need to stick with it and if if you made a mistake you need to learn from it and plan ahead and decide something better for the future but not quickly change it because because of you make a mistake you know so uh, this is something uh, that you get uh, yeah, that I learned out of experience just stick with the plan and even if it's a big mistake of course you need to adjust but if, if it's just a minor failure or a change of booking or a change of schedule that you need to stick, especially if the group is big. We have uh, 30 people flying around the world. You, you cannot go left, right, up and down the road. You need to stick to the plan.
1: Do you think there might be some different things popping up in the team this year? I mean, for example, they have a like a DJ in NASCAR. I mean, could, could the pit
3: box be slightly uh, lively?
1: Um, some spinning well, lights I, and a glitter ball? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you, I don't know. You never know. But... Uh, I heard he's there. I think uh, with the Daytona 500 next week, he has, uh, he's playing there. So uh, I th- it would be nice, I think, uh, to make a combination with uh, like a festival, or, or but if he, you know, if there is a, uh, if we plan or Aprilia plans something, and he can sing, for example, or he can play, or. Then it would be nice, you know. So it makes something different and something special. But uh, yeah, I think we need to focus on racing, and uh, it's it's nice that uh, yeah that Pitbull is with us because it makes you know even the youth also uh, they don't know nothing about racing, but they only name that ah, dad you know Pitbull. I said oh sorry, <laughs> you know what I mean. I missed the, I missed the clue completely. Yeah yeah, this is this new guy. Oh, Pitbull, okay. So. Uh, Yeah, this is interesting for the sport. I hope it gives uh, much more uh, uh, fans to the sport as well. You know, this is something that uh, we need to understand and learn as well.
1: Well, from your days with Jorge Lorenzo, we know you can dance. So (laughs) maybe you'll be showing us again (laughs) this year, perhaps. Yes. uh, Speaking on the racing, uh, has it helped, like you say, a lot of the team have stayed intact and you're moving straight into the new season, same riders, finally getting healthy. Does that mean the transition to performance is going to be you know, it's not going to be a big bump in the road, is it? Because things are just going to roll on.
3: Yeah, exactly, roll on. And and especially uh, the bad luck that uh, Miguel had, uh, I hope we, we we leave that behind us, you know, because he had finally two or three operations last year and a, a lot of crashes where he was involved in, basically. But um, uh, yeah, his performance, especially uh, uh, race by race on the moments when he was hot, you know, was, was good. And, uh, of course, he also had a difficult time when he really uh, suffered uh, fitness and in and, and, and the muscle in the, in the arm. Uh, but, yeah, saying that, after a year being on this bike, the second year on the same bike, even when we uh, will have newer material, um, Yeah, I experienced that with uh, Franco and and, uh, Fabio as well. The first year they were so good and we'll go, what can you expect next year? I said, they will be better because they know the bike exactly. And the first Friday they already have a better rhythm than the year before because they needed to learn the bike. And that will be the same with Miguel and Raul. Of course, Miguel did not do all the races, so some races he will be the first time on on that track with that bike. But that's a big benefit, and uh, we should not underestimate. And also the 2023 bike, uh, what Raul tested as well in Valencia, was directly a big step. And even now we are pushing for the 2024, and hopefully that even makes another step, because uh, it's clear that the competition is very tight, and uh, you cannot just rely anymore on too much old, bikes you know so uh, it's not that the 2023 probably is not good enough because i i feel that that level is is uh, really good um, what's the official word on that wilco do you you know when you the
1: spec for machinery is miguel gonna have a different bike to raul or what's the official
3: word the no moment? no actually we try to have as quick as possible 2024 material but of course uh, the 2024 is still under development And, uh, yeah, this is something that we need to wait and uh, to see how quick there is material available. Of course, we have pulled out uh, a date and and a timing plan. Uh, Not telling you that, basically, but, uh, yeah, it would have been easy to say, no, no, we use 2023 material this year, but actually Trackhouse pushed a lot. And... uh, yeah, one side you can worry from if they are able to supply enough to be on time ready. But on the other side, what do we have to lose? You know, if our target is finishing uh, uh, around 10th, you know, then the target is not good enough. You know, you want uh, yeah, to be, yeah, closer to the top five, you know, because then it makes sense to, to invest as well. And to be on the podium, of course, is something uh, that we still uh, are looking forward to. But uh yeah, can you do that with 2023 material over the whole season a lot? Mm, will be difficult. And uh, uh, okay, race by race, of course, uh, especially when the tracks are longer and you need all the performances, what there is. Yeah, the, the, the competition is too tight to accept that uh, and realize that 2023 will be good enough. So uh, that's why we pushed hard to get uh, the freshest material available as possible. Lastly, Wilco, have you ever been to a MotoGP bike or team presentation in Hollywood? <laughs> no, never. This is my first time, and uh, I have to say there were a lot of uh, good actors there uh, today. <laughs> it was funny to see, and uh, no, it, it's, you know, I think uh, having a, an, uh, an American team is, is something uh, that uh, you know the country is so big, and uh, you know the, the the interest in that this country and the uh, the results have been so good so and I think they, they really want to go back to that but they need to step it, the game up you know and um, the competition in, in the Spanish Championship and Italy uh, with uh, Valentino's Acad- Academy you know so every everybody is growing and I think there is a lot of talent here in America but uh, you need to have the, the right contest and the right competition and that makes those boys better and better and uh, of course with uh, yeah with American team already in MotoGP, I hopefully, uh, yeah, it will be good push for them. Thanks Wilco, hope you can enjoy your big margarita
1: later on the roof when the, the bikes are unveiled. I hope so too. Miguel, uh, we're here at the track house launch. First of all, the most obvious question is, how are you physically? Uh, did you get self-sorted over the winter?
4: Well, uh, I, I had a slightly longer winter. For that reason, I could recover uh, 100% to 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 start the, the, the season. Um, it has not been um, uh, an, an easy road, but, uh, yeah, happy to be here.
1: What do you think about the whole change of the team and everything? It must have been a really confusing period, you know, from Valencia to this point. Uh, what's been the emotions?
4: Yeah, for sure, it has been... Uh, it, it, it has been... A, First of all, a surprise because uh, we were not expecting um, the, the the previous team to um, to withdraw, and uh, I think it opened a, a really great opportunity uh, for Aprilia, for us uh, as a team to start a new um, a, a new project. You know, uh, for sure everything was done in a very short time. For that, I I appreciate a lot the effort of Aprilia technically to build every material to uh, to provide. Uh, um, finally six bikes for for the test six new 2024 Aprilia bikes and um, yeah I, I just want uh, to get my hands to work and really uh, pay back in results the effort and the, the trusted Aprilia deposit on me yeah.
1: there's been a lot of changes behind the scenes but is it important that you know you still have the same crew the same people in place that there's consistency there isn't there
4: yeah for sure I mean Trek House bought a house with furniture <laughs> and uh, all the all the furniture is there and uh, I, I think it's a good one to work um, I know the team and I don't have to break down the ice again with the new crew <laughs> and um, for sure this is a this is a positive point we know the bike we, we know the, the good points we know the points where we have to work and uh, you know even if it was a pretty unlucky season for me um, we still gathered some good data that um, I can start to work on myself and um yeah, uh, basically we need to discover a new bike as well because everything uh, will be slightly different. Uh, but you know, as every good bike, you need to work a little bit on it until you get uh, the right to the right points.
1: Miguel, what are you hoping for from the new bike? I mean, is there something we thought? Listen, last year we needed to fix that because we were struggling.
4: I mean, for sure, uh, one thing we expect more is power, uh, we want to achieve a better stopping because we, um, we we tend to lose a bit of time on brakes, uh, especially tracks where you brake really long time uh, and gain a little bit everywhere else, you know, as every manufacturer looks for performance uh, in every area. We, uh, you know, Aprilia tried to work where, where, where we lacked the most, which was braking and um, yeah, and a little bit of power. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think we, we got a little bit of that according uh, to the engineers. <laughs> so now we'll, we'll check that on track.
1: There's a little bit of a party starting here, so just two more questions. Um, you know, when this team changed and became track house and was an American team, I mean, you couldn't have imagined having a launch in the top of a Hollywood
4: kind of hotel. I mean, it's, it's something a little bit different even for you in your long career. I mean, I had, uh, I, I had a 10 different team launches, and uh, I have to say, coming to L.A. Uh, for the team presentation, you know, I think for a rider, it's never a very exciting time when you get to be on your ladders, taking pictures for an entire day and doing the videos and the interviews. But I have to say, it's quite exciting for me because uh, uh, to, to come to L.A., uh, it's quite symbolic, you know, to be here with an American team, American colors, um, in, in, in the center of uh, LA, it's quite quite unique.
1: Lastly, uh, 44 races this year, it's going to be a marathon, isn't it? Um, how do you kind of feel about that? Is it also taking a little bit of a different level of preparation to, to get sorted?
4: I mean, the preparation, I think, will come also with the kilometers. Um, I, I had, uh, you know, uh, a good, uh, uh, a good winter. I, I, I put on a good amount of, uh, of, of work physically. Uh, but the specific work you can only do on the bike. And that, that comes with the races, with the kilometers that you do. Especially finishing the races is important. Um, and I think we are all, as a group of riders, a little bit more adapt to the style of, 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 of the weekend on the races. So I think hopefully we'll have less crashes. and uh, this will allow us also to be healthy throughout the whole season, which is difficult.
1: Thanks Miguel, best of luck. Raúl, uh, good to see you. You're looking very white. I mean, the new livery with Trackhouse is, I mean, the fans are gonna be able to see you easily on the track.
5: For me it's amazing, for the mechanic, maybe after two races (laughs) will be the worst one. Uh, we have a lot of white. Uh, they have to clean. They will have to clean a lot with the carbon. Anyway, I am. I, I feel different, and I feel really happy. I feel that uh, the, the, this year can we do something really well. So also, I'm really, really happy to to be part of uh, the first American team. Uh, it is for me a pleasure. They have a really nice mind. I love uh, how they want to to manage the team, how they want to do. Or how they see this uh, sport, no? So yeah, I'm really happy. So I, I want, i really into China. I want to start tomorrow the, the, the season and see how we are.
1: Well, I think you said this already. Um, it's important that you've got consistency going into another year because it's the same team, the same motorcycle. That that's something you didn't have last year, and now
5: you have some momentum, right? It is the first time since I arrived to MotoGP that I will have the same bike, same team. So for me, it is it is good. I will not to adapt the bike. I will not to adapt the, the tire. I will not to adapt the mechanic. This is, we, we get some time, some free time that I will be focused on me again. Uh, yeah, I, I Honestly, I will not to think on the result. Honestly, I want to, to be on the top since the first race. I want to be constant, honestly, but the first target that I have is try to, to feel what I feel the last year, the last part of the last year, and try to enjoy the bike. If it's arrived, I know that I will be fast and I will, I will be on the top.
1: It's important in MotoGP that people give you time. I mean, you're still a young rider, you're still looking for experience. If you look at someone like um, Digia last year, it shows that when you get the good feeling and you get the right package, then the results are possible.
5: Yeah, for me in general, uh, in the in the sport, no, it's not just on the motor sport. In general, on the sport, when you are in a in a professional level and you have a, a really good moment on your or your career, to lose the confidence is too easy, but to get again this confidence is too difficult. What I want to what I mind with that, I I say with with that, or what I think with that, is. We are quite younger. We, we 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 don't have the experience. We are right to MotoGP. Now I will speak about I will speak about our sport. You are right to MotoGP, and for us, or what we want to do is try to win. But it, it is not easy. It's the best category in the world. The, the best manufacturer, the, the best team, the best rider. So we sometimes we need more time. That. The people uh, won't no? uh, That is something that the people, I think, that have to understand. That it is not easy for us because the first people that want to win is uh, is is yourself, no. So, yeah, for me it is something that the people have to think. No, we we want to win, and we are here because we want to win. I don't want to be here to do some lap on the, on a track.
1: Lastly, what happens now? Do you uh, supercross tomorrow? Some cheeseburgers before you go home. What's the plan? Cheeseburgers, no.
5: Máximo whisky, yeah, No, but uh, yeah, I will. I will go to supercross. It will be my first uh, event in supercross. I'm really fan of that. I love. I I appreciate a lot what they, they do because uh, sometimes when I do motocross on a, or, or when I see someone that do very well motocross on life is quite amazing i cannot imagine when they have to be super uh, consistent on the jump super clean on the drive style so yeah i want to see i, I cannot to wait for tomorrow and yeah i think i will enjoy a lot thanks Rao, buena suerte thank you
2: yeah, really interesting comments there from Wilco and the two riders, Ed. Um, you just mentioned some of the names that had been at the uh, the launch, the likes of Rainey and Schwanz, but John Kaczynski, that's the guy that pretty much disappeared off the motorcycling earth after uh, he retired, I think, in the early 2000s from uh, AMA Superbike where he was riding. And uh, I've heard a couple of journalists say that they've tried to contact him in recent times and basically heard nothing back. What was any, – any idea what he's been up to? I think he's got heavily into real estate, no one is in this kind of retirement.
1: Yeah, that's that's the room. I didn't get a chance to speak to him. He seemed quite popular at the event. I mean, there was he was always deep in conversation with someone. I was slightly worried about where I was standing. I thought he might want to hoover up once I'd moved. Uh, but you know, it was uh, <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> you know, be dropping crumbs again. Yes, I was very paranoid over my nibbles. Uh, it was uh, no, it was good. It was unusual to see him, like you say now. But um, yeah, no sort of update on what he's been doing. A reminder that we have some excellent backing on the paddock Pass podcast this year and that's thanks to ktm 2024 is the 30th year that the austrians have been making their duke naked bikes from 125s all the way up to 1390s and the fierce super dukes uh, a model that i had the absolute pleasure to ride around portomal the duke family has something for every rider at any age or ability talk for days and style that turns head speaking of ktms uh, gas gas guys now have some rebel branding
0: Yeah, I mean, was it unexpected? I'm not quite sure. It actually does make the bike look a lot better because the red... I mean, you know, as much as I like the red bike, it was quite sort of plain. Um, And the leathers especially. The the leathers actually of the riders actually look class. So um, I was quite impressed with that. Um, It's not really surprising that Red Bull are sort of stepping in. It's also a sign of... um, the inextricability of Red Bull and KTM, that they are, I mean, I want to say functionally a single a single company, but they're not at all. It's just that they are very, you know, they, they work very, very closely together and everything Red uh, sort of KTM touches, then Red Bull are going to uh, get behind in, in some way or another. So it, it's not really surprising. And also I think it's important, well, I think it is it looks a lot better when you have some kind of sponsorship on bike rather than just a great big gas-gas all over.
2: Yeah, there was no massive revelations from the uh, the launch from the riders, certainly. It was everything that you expect to hear. Pedro Acosta, you'll be surprised to know, is in no rush and he's not having any pressure being put on him. He did make the very good point that there's no point... Um, in placing great expectations on his shoulders after one day on the bike. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He'll be able to give us a bit more of an idea how he feels his season could go after the six days of running at Sepang, where he'll have three days at the shakedown and then three days um, at the official test. Um, But um, Augusto was, was quite telling in that. I asked him, will we see Pedro challenging you and the other KTM guys midway through the season at the end of the season and he said, no, 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 like way before that. Um he just said everything that um you know Pedro has touched so far has kind of immediately turned into results or, or some kind of speed. So he thinks he'll be he'll be pretty quick from the off. And then um I think Nico Goyon was quite interested in the the team manager now of of the the gas gas, the Red Bull gas gas factory racing team um he was basically saying that he expects Augusto to kind of double his points hole uh, for 2024. Um, and, you know, Augusto is absolutely aware that um, he needs to come out swinging. He needs to start performing very, very well from the start of the year. If he wants to retain that seat for 2025.
0: Uh, the interesting thing I thought that Pedro Acosta said was the, uh, the time when he had, expectations when he placed expectations on himself was in 2022 and as I've mentioned before like I was at the Moto2 test in Portimao um, when Pedro Acosta got on a a Moto2 bike for the first time and and basically everyone there was saying he's going to be champion this year I think he expected to be champion as well Uh, and I think he really learned his lesson in 2022 um, that things aren't as easy as they seem Uh, so he's putting a lot, lot less pressure on himself. Um, uh, I mean, th- th- there's always going to be the media. He was interesting talking about the media, saying, you know, like, um, I only listen to what I want to listen to. Um, but he is aware of how much pressure there is being put on him uh, by the media or the expectations from the media. But he's just, you know, sort of waving them away and trying to point out that, uh, lads, um, I haven't been on the bike that, uh, that much, and it is quite a lot harder than it used to be.
2: I like the way he was talking about that 2022 season when he had so many expectations coming into his rookie year, model two, and he said it was a total disaster. Uh, Pedro, you finished fifth in the championship and won three races <laughs> that year. You're rookie of the year. So I'm not sure I classify that as a total disaster. Um, but um, Nico Goyon also talking about Pedro's adaptation on that, that uh, when was it Tuesday at Valencia and, um, Just saying how impressed that the team were, how naturally he looked on the bike, his riding position looked to be the correct one by the end of the day. Um, And again, he didn't uh, want to give too much away in terms of expectations, but he did say that um how he kind of quickly got up to speed with the uh, the carbon brakes that's one of the biggest things that uh, rookies normally have to adapt to as well as where to place themselves on the bike and learning all the different devices um you know he said it was it was quite an impressive achievement that he got to where he did at the end of that first day in valencia
1: guys we went to ducati and we saw or experienced a very kind of impressive launch in terms of presentation and everything involved with uh i don't know unveiling a motor gp or racing effort for the year gas gas was a different thing i mean it was an online event i mean it was heavily image orientated the video was pretty cool uh, and then zoom calls with the the protagonists afterwards uh, did we kind of prefer that and what do we think of the ktm group and the way that they're sort of mixing up the brands i mean we saw husqvarna come into moto 2 for the first time last year it seems that CF Moto is going to be spreading its wings. Uh, the future for GasGas gas seems to be chopping and changing. And of course, the Pira Mobility Group now have MV Augusta as well under the umbrella. So that could also be something that also comes into MotoGP in the future.
0: Well, one thing, uh, as I was typing up uh, the Pedro Acosta's interview that really started annoying me was the fact that everyone now has to refer uh, refer to it as the peer mobility group uh, because that's a lot more letters to type than just KTM. (laughs) Um, So uh, Yeah it is I mean it is clear that the KTM or the peer mobility group are trying to really use racing as a as a platform to launch their brands. I mean, you're not just seeing it in MotoGP, uh, of course, the fact that um, I think uh, uh, Jorge Prado is on a, is on a gas, gas rather than a KTM. Um, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, Jorge Prado is... Uh, you know maybe the biggest thing in in mxgp at the moment certainly the biggest spanish thing in mxgp and so it's putting on a gas gas rather than on, on your flagship brand um that, that that says a lot so it's also going to be see going to be interesting to see how it develops pedro acosta was quite interesting talking about you know working with um paul trevathan um very i mean his. his, his, his That relationship between sort of crew chief and and rider, I keep saying this, it's the most interesting in in, in all of racing because there's so much of it that you have to, um, so much of it relies on trust, confidence, uh, communication, uh, the understand, you know, naturally understanding with with each other. Um, Pedro was saying like with with his former crew chief, the relationship was like being like a, you know, father and son, and they only had to look at each other to understand what was going on. And, you know, like Paul has to build up that same level of re, uh, relationship but the fact that he's already taking a lot of um he's paying a lot of attention to uh, uh, to, to uh, Acosta the fact that there's already a lot of communication between them uh like his openness um and and his clarity <clears throat> pedro said what I really liked about it is he's very clear, you know, he doesn't, he, he give, tells you exactly what he thinks and um, he tells you when you're doing well, tells you when you're not doing well and he's very clear and there's no sort of, um, the, the, there's no, uh, you know, dissembling in there, it's just sort of very, very straightforward and, and that's the sort of
2: He also seemed to be of the impression that uh, Paul was Dutch, not uh, Kiwi, which...
0: Yeah, uh- well, he does live in Holland, so uh, he is, uh, I mean, you know, the... the uh, but, uh, we we are claiming him as our own. So, um, uh, you know, Peter Bomber's <laughs> moved on to journalism. So, so we've got to have a top crew chief.
1: Coming back to what we were saying about the brands, I think it was Pira Mobility Group exe- uh, executive member of the board, Hubert Trunkenpaltz, in the same launch, was talking about that, just saying that MotoGP is the biggest possible window you can have for exploiting a brand or presenting it. So it makes absolute sense that they decided to throw gas gas which is inherently a trial bike manufacturer straight into, to, you know, a bigger picture. People now talk about gas, gas in, in a wider sense. It's not just a niche uh, manufacturer of specific motorcycles and, you know, whether, you know, the peer mobility group end up producing gas gas street bikes or not is is sort of by the by because people associate Pedro Acosta with that brand with Red Bull. And, um, but one thing I just wanted to ask you, Neil is because, we know the pyramid mobility group have built like a little network of teams you know when it comes in sort of motor 3 and motor 2 uh, acosta now has his own adventure in motor gp but who who do, would you identify as the next sort of rising star through the pyramid do we have to look out for dennis onchu or should we perhaps put our chips on david alonso i mean who's sort of the next one would you say
2: yeah it's a good question um, i mean there's obviously like a lot of very exciting lads in moto 3 david alonso will probably be in the pick of them um yeah, I'd probably say Alonso at the moment, although maybe it's just because I haven't really thought about Model 2 so much in the last two months that uh, my brain is a little scattered with that subject. But uh, yeah, Alonso kind of is the the one that stands out. I would have said Ethan Guevara, but he had a pretty hopeless uh, rookie campaign in Model 2 last year. So yeah, Alonso's probably the pick of them, I would say, at the moment. Um,
0: uh, I have a question too about MV Augusta. Um, obviously, MV Augusta has a very storied history in uh, Grand Prix motorcycle racing. I mean, for a long time... MV Augusta was almost synonymous with 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 Grand Prix racing. Um if MV, you know, now that MV Augusta are part of the Perimera Mobility Group, how would we feel if they if MV Augusta, you know, so sort of joined in 2025 uh, as the third KTA, uh, KTM team racing a KTM RC sixteen rebadged as an MV Augusta? How how would we feel about that? Would it be sacrilege or would it be in you know, a great grand promo a brown promotion anyone nobody has any uh has an opinion on it i was waiting for nil but um yeah the, the other thing because the other thing to me is like uh mb augustus have, have always been in line uh inline bikes inline threes and inline fours so to have them as a v4 it seems would be very different very different
2: I mean, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't actually count on the constructors' championship as MV Agusta if they were riding KTM bikes, would it? So, um, it would still be a very much a branding exercise. You wouldn't be looking at it as kind of an MV Agusta thing. But yeah, you're, you're right. There is something maybe sacrilegious about it. such a famous motorcycling institution just being used in that kind of way and not actually. In any way, being able to to kind of contribute, um, it's kind of own expertise. It's it's kind of uh, you know it's all coming from from Austria. Um, but then we have seen that with with other kind of famous brands in the past, with well, Derby and One Two Fives back when you know Aprilia were trying to kind of push the the, the different number of brands under the the Piaggio umbrella. Um, so Angelera as well. Um, you know, Jalera, one of the great motorcycle manufacturers of the, you know, the, the first part of the, uh, of the 19th, sorry, the 20th century. Um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I have strong feelings on it, but, um, yeah, it would be quite strange, wouldn't it?
1: I, uh, actually think the difference between a uh, Gas Gas, which was a brand completely sort of swallowed by the Pira Mobility group. I mean, the, the actual manufacturing plant that they had close to Girona airport vanished. Um, with that acquisition, is that MV Augusta still have an administration uh, base in Italy. You know, there is a little bit more of a kind of a solidified presence there. And that would probably mean the heritage or the legacy, like you say, Dave, even though it is inherently Austrian, if it comes back into MotoGP, then there's still a little bit more there connected to Italy and to its roots. But uh, maybe just the way it's presented, that's another thing, you know. And now Gas Gas has become very much a closer extension of Red Bull KTM, if you like, because of the sponsorship. But you would have to imagine the MV Augusta would have a slightly different flavor, even if the machinery is, is is the same.
0: I suppose the last time we saw an MV Augusta was in Moto2, uh, with uh, which was, again, just a Calyx with a Honda engine. So uh, there's <laughs> not that much difference to it triumph or was it with the triumph engine Uh, they i lose track of when they switched engines
1: before we get on to our next talking point of sepang a swift call out to riders and racing fans to head to flyracing.com for apparel and some of the best gear you'll find for the road or the trail we've talked about the excellent formula s helmet but off-roaders can rely on evo dst kinetic and patrol collections amongst others also goggles protection and much more so head over to flyracing.com okay Uh, testing times dave explain what's the difference between the shakedown test and the official testing i mean who is going to be doing what uh
0: originally the shakedown test was meant for the test riders uh just to literally do that to go out and try all the bits on the bike and make sure they don't fall off or the bike and the bike doesn't explode and all the rest of it just to stop the uh, factory riders from having to waste time at the beginning of a test so they can jump on the test. Uh, on the Bikes on the Test, which starts on Tuesday, on Tuesday yes, um, and sort of get started straight away. Um, obviously, with the concession system, that has changed a little bit uh, because um, uh, both Honda and Yamaha are able to actually ride at the concessions um, uh, at the shakedown test. Uh, also, the rookies were allowed to ride, so we'll see Pedro Acosta there. Um, and we will see Luca Marini, jean Mir, uh, Fabio Quattararo, Uh, Alex Rins there as well, um, getting a little bit of extra testing time because they need that extra testing time to join in. So we've got the shakedown test from the 1st of February to the 3rd of February. That's three days. uh, And then we've got two days off and then we will have the full test from the 6th or 7th of or 8th of um, february no i mean like you know the full test is self-explanatory it's an IRTA test organised by IRTA, um which means that every uh, all of the full time motor gp entries will be there plus various uh, sort of testing things, so I'm actually quite looking to see, looking forward to see what's there. Who's got what? We heard at Ducati that Ducati have got a, a, a sort of important new aero package. I think KTM will see a lot of new things from KTM as well, um, and especially what sort of Honda and, and Yamaha have, did, uh, have got. I think Honda not expecting quite so, so many exciting updates from uh, from Honda because the pictures from the Hareth. Uh, test with Stefan Bradle on the bike looked very similar to the bike that they debuted in, uh, Valencia last year. Two
1: questions, Dave, just for people who are new to MotoGP or maybe like getting into it, you know, Sepang can be problematic because it tends to rain, uh, quite quickly and frequently. Uh, so, so why is, is the Sepang the first sort of venue that the, the manufacturers head to, to, you know, get the first taste of new race bikes and, and potential technology for the season?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to do it. First of all, I mean, it started back when the Japanese manufacturers were dominating MotoGP and it's sort of uh, closer to Japan than it is to Europe. It's sort of halfway between um, uh, Japan and um, Qatar, where the first race of the season is. Um, guaranteed, You're guaranteed warm weather. So you don't have to worry about uh, temperature. It's got a lot of everything. It's got two really long straights, but it's also got uh, sort of places with heavy braking, with changes of direction, uh, with long corners. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of variety to the track. It's it's actually useful for that. And yes, you do you lose uh, a lot of time every day. You know, you you lose basically i mean it, it rains in the afternoon sort of around four ish uh, between four and up four and um it'll rain for half an hour and then it stops raining and then by the time quarter to six comes the track is bone dry again just because of the amount of heat and um, depending on the humidity the humidity can be a, a bit of a um a, a bit problematic um the bigger problem is the heat you know like at two o'clock during the day it's very hot it's very difficult to actually ride um uh that's also the time that um uh, the teams like to send their riders out to do long race runs to uh, check both the bikes and the fitness um so i mean it's it it, it is quite a good Uh, it's a good general testing track. It will tell you a lot about it, but it needs to be tested sort of in a combination. The next test is going to be Qatar uh, for two days, and that is a lot less useful because Qatar is such a weird track. Um, You know, you're riding at a weird time, it's covered in sand. Um, It's not very representative, even though it produces fantastic racing. It's just not particularly useful.
1: Just before I ask Neil a question, Dave, are you excited at any other moment as much as you are in Sepang during a MotoGP season?
0: <laughs> My wife asked me this as well. It's just, it's just, is this the moment that you uh, look forward to most uh, during the year? Um, eh, pro- yeah, probably. I mean, I have to say like still every Sunday morning because, you know, like weekends are long. Um, and now, and especially the, 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 they've just become so intense, and so you get really tired. But then you get sort of, you know, the before the start of the race, the 15 minutes before I start of a race, you really start to get the old butterflies uh, in the stomach again. But there, there's so much to see at it tests. It's so it, it, it's just, you know, people have had like you know eight weeks to to come up with new ideas, and it's always great to go and have a look and see it. And everyone's also everyone has time. You know, everyone has time. To, answer your questions and uh, you know to have a bit of a chat and stuff so it's always great
1: now when it comes to the overall strategy if sepang is about wheeling out the new shit and trying stuff and maybe discarding it then what's the qatar test about is that more just uh, final verification on some of the experiments that they've conducted in malaysia and then looking towards the race or is there still some maybe last minute plans going on in lasalle
2: yeah, it depends, I guess, where the, the particular factory is at and um, what kind of what kind of situation they find themselves in. Um, for many of them, you would imagine it's just kind of confirming some details um, because they will have made significant changes from what they rolled out in, uh, in Valencia, maybe with the exception of Honda. Um, so it's just about confirming that in a new track in different kind of conditions, and um, But uh, yeah, I guess the the, the one thing that is interesting this year is that uh, the Japanese factories obviously have um, a lot of concessions, which includes um, basically open engine development through the year, um, which means that if it doesn't go exactly as planned at Sepang, it's not a total disaster in that they can still bring significant changes to Qatar or even to the first couple of races um, and, uh, and you know, make changes from there. Whereas in years gone by, when there was the uh, the engine freeze for them, um, then it was pretty much all or nothing. We saw Yamaha come to Sepang with a whole host of new items last year. And by the final day, I think Fabio Quattrero had decided to chuck all of them um, and basically went with the kind of setup that was closest to 2022 for the start of the season after testing in Portimao. So that was just because it was kind of too late to to make further significant changes to, to what he had tested at Sepang. So um, yeah, maybe the, maybe the the, the Qatar test will be interesting to see what the Japanese factories do and whether their strategy changes, whether they'll bring significant changes to Qatar as well as to Sepang. Um, But, uh, but yeah, um, agree with Dave. Qatar is usually quite a particular track, particular conditions, and um, not always the most reliable indicator of what um, what is ahead. Whereas Sepang, if you look at last year, not saying it's always this this way, but last year, I remember coming away from Sepang thinking. Ducati are in incredible shape, and it wasn't just with Pecco or with Martín. It was all eight riders looked really strong, and well, it turned out that all eight riders were going to have their particular day in the sun uh, through the year. Yamaha and Honda were in trouble last year at Sepang, and that proved to be how their season went. Um, I think the, the big thing was KTM at Sepang looked completely lost, but their strategy was just um, throw as many testing parts at uh, both Binder and Miller as possible. Um, and, and then kind of come to a decision on what combination fits best um, after the Portimao test. And that actually turned out to be quite successful in the end. So, um, so yeah, I think four of the five factories last year, we had a good indicator of how their season was going to go just by what happened.
0: Yeah, quick thing about concessions. The fact that both Honda and Yamaha are able to update their engines uh, during the season means that uh, it's going to make uh, Jerez and Mugello tests... There's three in-season tests after the race at uh, Hareth, after the race at Mugello, and after the race at um, Misano. Those are going to be very, very important. Um, We could see, you know, an engine update. I mean, possibly after, uh, possibly after I mean, much more likely uh, at Mugello, certainly for Yamaha. Um, Even though Mugello is not a great test circuit, for the same reason that you know, Phillip Island isn't a great test circuit. It's such a rider's track. Um, There's so much that a rider can get out of it that that it's hard to find uh, really specific sort of details, which is why Ducati switched from, Mugello as their main test circuit to Misano as their main test circuit. You know, it's a, the, the Misano is a much more nudgery circuit. It's a lot tighter and um, there's sort of, you know, harder, well, there's sort of heartbreaking, but also much tighter corners uh, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think those two tests are going to be interesting. Misano is probably a little bit too late for, for an update. And um, in an ideal world, both Honda and Yamaha will have lost their concessions uh, or their extra concessions by the time we get to the Misano testing.
1: Well, we're on the edge of a season that should have had 22 Grand Prix, 44 races. But as we record, the Grand Prix of Argentina is right on the edge of being chopped. Uh, thoughts on that, guys? I mean, Dave, why has this come around? Uh, are we surprised? And, and Neil, if your thoughts? Are, is anybody really sad about missing out on Termas?
0: I mean, the track is fantastic. Genuinely one of the best tracks on the circuit, uh, on the calendar. Uh, However, it's in the middle of nowhere and it gets no use. Um, So you've got this fantastic facility which doesn't get the use which it really deserves. I mean, if that track was in... Uh, Spain or Italy, um, or even closer to Buenos Aires, maybe it would be absolutely fantastic it 's not surprising given sort of the state the uh, Argentinian economy, the you know radical new uh, uh, president they have you know he said he was going to cut costs, and that means uh as uh, this sort of spending on tourism despite the fact that um i mean only sort of cutting off your nose despite your face because you're not investing in in certain things and that means that you're not getting the benefits for it you're not getting the the income from uh, from the tourism and the spending for that for that region but n- not really surprised if there was going to be a, a race that we lose it was going to be this one and maybe maybe kazakhstan we shall have to wait and see what happens with kazakhstan as uh, at, the ducati launch everyone was basically saying kazakhstan's going to happen but will uh, it's one of those things where it's still very much with an asterisk
2: if only uh, malay would cut his hair the same way that he cut his nose to spite his face Dave. <laughs> but yeah i mean it's a it's it's a shame really that um you know that the, the kind of the soul um race in south america hangs in the balance there's always a fantastic attendance in argentina um not just from argentina but or Argentinians, but from people right the way around the continent, and it's kind of like a celebration, like a mecca of motorcycling from yeah everywhere. You know, in, in the kind of neighboring countries, you, you see motorcycles with license plates from from so many faraway places. Um, it's a shame that that will be that will be stopped potentially. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, but from a you know, you, you mentioned will people be happy? I think people in the paddock will be happy, but that's mostly because of just the the sort of the the, the way the calendar is currently that we're, we're sort of at bursting 22 races. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's an extra weekend at home in Europe. You are basically for the, the majority of people that are based in Europe in the paddock and um, you are basically taken away one of the, the longer, more arduous trips of the season. So, um, yeah. Can I just say also that, uh, the one year that I booked my flights for Argentina <laughs> at the start of January <clears throat> is the one year that uh, I get punished for it. So, um, let that be a lesson to all our listeners.
0: Yeah, I mean it's also one of the more expensive uh, rounds, possibly the most expensive um, uh, rounds uh, of the calendar, and it's sort of a bit unfortunate because we don't really. It's it would have been the third race of the of the season, which is. I mean, when you want time off, what you really want is one of the races at the end of the season to be dropped because then you you feel like you're getting a little bit of a breather. It's those flyaways at the end of the season which really start to kill you. Um, but so to lose sort of like the third race of the season is a bit of a uh, is, is a shame. And the biggest shame is just losing um, like a base in South America, which is a really important motorcycling market.
1: Yeah, that's what I wanted to say as well, Dave. I mean, I know it depends on economies and governments and decisions, but you know, you can't imagine MotoGP missing out on that market, uh, whether it's Argentina, Brazil, Chile, somewhere around there, because uh, the Argentinian World Superbike round has also been chopped. Um, and from what I hear, from what I hear, the MXGP round, which is going to open the World Championship, um, has been saved due to some. Uh, financial, some organizational renegotiation. So uh, that was uh, also likely to be disappearing without that kind of measure. So it it does seem bizarre that, you know, MotoGP is not infiltrating that area of the world, but you hope it's going to be a temporary kind of setback or measure. Uh, And, you know, in the future, we'll, we'll see a Grand Prix in the, the Americas at some point, of course, that means the teams go straight to, uh, Cotter now for the first race in mid April. So they get getting a little bit of a reprieve after, um, the Grand Prix of Portugal. So two weeks before that one, um, right guys, that's it for this week. Um, don't forget the Patreon competition listeners, uh, sign up to watch us on YouTube or subscribe through any audio channel for regular, po- uh, your well, you regularly get your podcast, uh, the audio that is, um, want to see or hear something different on our paddock Pass podcast and tell Tell us about it on Twitter or on SoundCloud. We'll be back next week from the depths of Malaysia with note shows and a podcast a little bit later than usual on Friday once the test has wrapped.
0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast was produced by David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. Music is provided by the Libertines. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.